off with just um, a question for you guys. Um, have you ever um, been asked by someone about your faith? Like, have you ever had a conversation, whether with a friend or a stranger or a believer, non-believer, whatever, has anyone ever asked you about Christianity? Have you, you can raise your hand. Has that ever happened every day? Why? Because you're in public school or because you're new tech? Okay. Public school. Interesting. See, that didn't happen to me in public school. Um, okay, well, then ask yourself this. You don't have to answer it. But were you able to answer it? Were you able to answer the person? Did you want to answer the person? Um, so in college, this actually happened to me. Um, I got into a conversation with someone who was an atheist, and they started asking me all these questions like how Jesus wasn't really Lord, he was just a good guy, or how, how could the Garden of Eden actually exist, and were there penguins there? I mean, like, all of these questions that I couldn't answer, um, and it made me realize how little I knew about my faith. Um, I mean, honestly, it was like a punch to the gut, um, because this, at that point, I would claim that I was a Christian. Honestly, my whole life, I've been claiming Christianity, um, but honestly, I knew nothing beyond the fact that Jesus died on a cross, and I didn't even fully grasp the implications of that. Um, so that conversation was a defining moment in my life, um, because honestly, before then, I had been asleep. I had been blind to the depth of who God is and what he has done for me and how to really live out a faithful life. Um, but what better way to learn that than to study about from Jesus himself? So we've been going through the book of Luke, and we've been looking at Jesus' life. And so um, we call this the road to Jerusalem. So Jesus is in the later part of his ministry, and he says in Luke 9, he's set his face to Jerusalem. So he's started this journey. We've been doing this for a few weeks, and he's headed to Jerusalem, but he's stopping at all these places. And so we've gone, seen him teach at different places. He's healed. Um, he's cast out demons. He's healed people. Last week, he dined with Pharisees. And so now we see he's stopped, and he's got thousands of people around him, and he stops and talks to his disciples right there. And so we're going to be in Luke 12, verse 35. But right before this, Jesus talks to his disciples about storing treasures in heaven. So in other words, valuing the right things of God and not worrying so much about material wealth. Because he tells them, do not be anxious because God sees and God will provide. You know, if he provides for the birds of the air, he's going to provide for you. I mean, think about it. A bird has everything it needs, right? In nature, it has its shelter, its food, whatever. If God provides for the bird, I think God will care and provide for you. And so he says, don't be anxious. And then he says in verse 34, a pretty famous verse, says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, what you value most in life will reflect what your heart values. So if I look at my day and I look at where I spend my time and where I spend my money, I'm going to see very clearly what I value and maybe what I put too much value in that I shouldn't. Um, like for me, it's probably reading books. I do that way too much. I mean, for you, it might be like social media or sports or video games, like whatever it is, whatever you see, you put most value in your life. That's 
what you treasure in your heart. So keeping this in mind, this idea that he just told them, he then moves forward and tells his disciples a parable, and a parable that is meant to drive them into action. So in Luke 12, verse 35, he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Interesting. So if the master finds the servant awake, he's going to turn around and serve the servant. It sounds like something Jesus would do, right? Um, but it says that the blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for a time when he will no longer be with them. I mean, he's headed to Jerusalem, right? Like he's approaching that moment when he is going to lay it all down and lay his life down die, resurrect, and then ascend to heaven so he will no longer be with them. And so then they're going to be in this holding period. We are in this waiting period, waiting for him to come back. And so he uses this example of a servant waiting for his master to return. But he doesn't know when his master will return, but it says that he stays awake and he stays ready. He keeps the lamp burning. So you only turn off your lamp if you're ready to go to bed, right? Like you're done with the night, you're checked out, like you're going to sleep, you're going to turn off your light. You, you, turn, you keep your light on if you want to stay awake and ready. And it also says he stays dressed for action. Kind of reminds me of like the vigilante movies, right? Like when the sun goes down, they all like get dressed up in their suits and they're ready for action to save New York. Because it's always New York. Why is it always New York? I don't understand. But anyways, they don't get in their pajama onesies and like tuck into bed. No, they are dressed and ready for action the moment they need to head out. In Exodus even, in the first Passover, so you remember there's like the 10 plagues that God does on Pharaoh, right? So right before the 10th plague, God teaches them the Passover, right? Because they put blood over their door and God is going to pass the judgment over them. He's saving them by the blood. It's a representation of Jesus. But he tells them in Exodus 12, he says, In this manner you shall eat it, the Passover meal. You shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. So it's like this idea of this symbol of them being ready to leave at the moment, at any moment's notice. They're prepared for that moment when Jesus, God is ready to save them. Like, they're ready. So there's this idea of readiness and being prepared for what you know is going to come. So if you continue in verse 39, it says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at the hour you do not expect. So if you know a thief is coming, I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to, like leave your, turn off your lights and like open your door, right? And just like walk away. No, you're going to prepare. You're going to probably buy an alarm system. You're going to turn on some lights. You're going to lock your doors, buy an extra bolt, maybe a guard dog. I don't know, but you're going to prepare for that so that it doesn't happen because you don't want the thief to come, right? Or it's like in the movie Home Alone, right? One of the best Christmas movies of all time. I mean, he prepares 
He prepares in every single room of his house. He anticipates what's going to happen. And the staple scene, the staple gun with the eyes makes me cringe every single year, but I still watch it. But he prepares for what he knows is about to happen. Um, so being prepared, what, what would that look like? I mean, I guess it's different depending on your goal, your end goal, right? So Jesus gives us a comparison of two different kinds of managers, one who is prepared and one who's unprepared, one who is faithful, one who is unfaithful. So let's compare them. So one is prepared. It says he is dressed for action. The master finds him awake. In some, ver- in some translations, awake, he says he finds him ready, ready. And then other is faithful and wise manager. So the one who is unprepared beats the other servants. He gets drunk. And it actually says right before this, he sits down to eat and drink and get drunk. So not just overindulgence, but like this idea of like, I'm going to kick back my feet. I don't really care what's going to happen. I'm just going to sit and enjoy a meal. Like I'm going to do what I want. And then 47, he knew his will, but did not get ready or act according to his will. So he knew his master's will, but he didn't do it, even though he knew it. So when the master returns, one is rewarded and one is punished. And I bet you can guess which. So the attitude behind these two are very different because you can tell that the one that's unprepared felt like he could do whatever he wanted without any consequences and that it didn't really matter what the future held. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do right then. So you see his heart behind that attitude. So if you remember from impact, if you saw my kids, I have two kids. Uh, My daughter Riley is seven and then my son Luke is four and a half. He's about to be five. Well, Luke gets in trouble for hitting Riley, naturally, right? So what does he do? He waits until I leave the room and then he hits her. Um, And then Riley being the good oldest sibling comes and promptly tattles on him because that's what first children do, right? And so it's just, just the vicious cycle. Um, But did it make it any better that he hit her when I couldn't see? No. In fact, that was just sneakier. Um, But his heart and his attitude toward his sister in that moment was still the same, whether or not I was there to see it. Or uh, last year, um, there were a few times I would find candy wrappers under Riley's bed. And this was probably around Halloween, you know, when you're surrounded by candy. And so at one point, I finally cut her off, and I was like, okay, we've had too much candy. Like, you've probably had, like, ten pieces today. Like, no more candy, okay? So then what she does is she grabbed it, and she snuck to her room. Like, tried to walk like this, and somehow got past me. And then, like, a week later, I found candy wrappers under her bed, as if I wouldn't find them. Um, So I may not have seen her do it, but I definitely saw the evidence of it. And the consequence was still there because she still went against what I had said, even if I didn't, wasn't there to see it. Faithfulness is obeying God's word when no one is watching. We may not see God, but God sees us. It may seem like sometimes we're left to our own devices or like we can do what we want because, hey, God's up here and I'm down here and like, does it really matter? Does he care? Um, I think we know that's not true. I think deep down we know. I mean, there's no hiding from an all-knowing God who has put his Holy Spirit inside you and knows you intimately, right? Verse 48 says that everyone to whom much was given, 
of him much will be required. We need to live in anticipation of Jesus coming. I'll say that again. We need to live in anticipation of Jesus coming. Mike McKinley says that everyone plans their actions in the present based on what they believe the future is likely to hold. So if you think it's going to rain, what do you do? You grab your rain boots, your rain jacket, your umbrella, like you prepare, right? Or if I want to go on a run, I know the only time I can do that is if I drop my son off at school. So I grab my running shoes and I make sure I'm ready for whenever that time comes and I can just go and run. Um, So you move in action towards this future thing that you know is going to happen. It makes me think about preparing for a race. So this past March, I uh, signed up for, or I ran a Spartan 10K, which I don't know if you know what a Spartan race is, but it's like a normal 10K plus obstacles, right? Guys, I'm really not a runner. Like, I don't know why I sign up for things. So I have this thing where I like commit to something before I fully think it through, which is like a whole other lesson in itself. Like, I just haven't learned that. So I signed up for a 10K. I'm like the worst runner. I don't like it. I'm really not good at it. God has not gifted me with running, and that's okay because I hate it. Um, Like, I'm a 12-minute mile on a good day. Like, grandma's power walking could probably beat me, but it's fine. I signed up for it because I thought the obstacles looked like fun. Um, And so I signed up. Uh, My goal was just to run the whole thing, right? But if I'm honest with you guys, I did not prepare for the obstacles. Um... I went in with the attitude of like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Like I did a warrior dash in college and the obstacles were really easy. It was like jumping through mud tires. And I was like, it'll be the same thing. Like it's probably not going to be any worse. Guys, it was worse. It was way worse. Um, So the night before the race, the night before, I finally YouTubed how to do the obstacles. Actually, my friend I was running with YouTubed it to show me because I had done zero work to prepare for these obstacles. And so she showed them to me and I slightly panicked because it was a lot of like upper body strength, like hoisting yourself up eight foot walls and like a whole bunch of monkey bar stuff, neither of which I can do and I still can't do. Um, And so I was, I was like really, really nervous. I don't think I've ever been so nervous and unprepared for something, maybe ever. And so um, I really was panicking. So I get to the race. There's supposed to be 30 obstacles, right? Okay, which is a lot. So I get there and right before we go off, they announce, they're like, surprise guys, because of the river this year, we had to change up the track. So you're actually gonna do this loop twice. So that means you have 50 obstacles and all, Everyone was like, yeah, 50 obstacles, and I am mad. I was like, I did not sign up for this. I can't even do 30 obstacles, and now I have to do 50 obstacles plus six miles of running, which I actually hadn't even ran until that day. And so, I mean, I did prepare for the running part. Oh, my goodness. I was, like, full-blown panicking, guys. Um, 50 obstacles. Um, I did actually survive. Um, And I did run the whole thing, but only because I had a runner friend who kept running between the obstacles, which I was like, we could walk this part, but that's fine. Um, I know, overachievers. Um, But I will have to be honest, I had to skip some obstacles because I wasn't strong enough, obviously. Um, But I regretted it because I didn't prepare for the obstacles. I should have looked them up 
before, more than the night before. I should have prepared for what I knew was going to happen. I knew this was coming in March, and I didn't even look into it. I had this attitude, this laziness that was like, eh, I'll get to it when I get there. It'll be fine. And I definitely regretted it. Um, So I'm actually signed up for a Spartan 5K next month, and I am going to I'm training this time, and I probably will still have to skip obstacles, and that's okay, but at least I am preparing this time, and I have a much better attitude. Um, One of my favorite verses is in Hebrews 12, 1, when it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we should be living our life as if we're in this long race, but with our sights set on Jesus, who is the perfecter of our faith. So it doesn't indicate this this casual, like, go with the flow, you do you, I'll figure it out later kind of attitude. It says run with endurance. That's hard. You got to sweat. There's no taking naps. There's no, like, figuring it out later when you feel like adulting. There's, that is calls you to action. That means actively laying aside the things which distract you from becoming more like Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says that we should always be prepared to make a defense for the reason, for anyone who asks you for the reason, that, for the hope that is in you. Can you do that? I know I couldn't until halfway through college, until I actually started spending time with God and actively living out my faith and starting living for Jesus now instead of for the future. We can't have this flippant attitude of just, oh, I'll see you when I get there. Because God's word should transform our life now. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You catch that? Deceiving yourself. Don't trick yourself into thinking that what you do now doesn't matter or that you can do what you want without any consequences, even if it doesn't seem like a consequence right now. You know, we can tend to have that attitude of, I'm just going to enjoy my life now, and then when I am older and doing the boring adult things, that's when I'll be serious about my faith. But, I mean, Jesus could come in 50 years. He could come now. But the point is, that you should be living like Jesus is coming today with anticipation, with excitement, but with fear and reverence and awe. Because our life should reflect what it, we treasure in our hearts, and that hope should hopefully be Jesus. The most important part of this is our heart posture towards God. So last week, Dave talked about how Jesus defined hypocrisy. And he said it was caring only about external actions and ignoring our internal attitudes. So for the Pharisees and the religious leaders, that was simply that they did all the right churchy things, right? They looked really great. They did all the right things. But inside, there was no love or dependency on God. But here, I want you to consider the opposite. If you claim to really love God and believe in him and follow him, So are you living that out on the outside as well? Are you taking his commands seriously? Because what you believe in your heart is going to be revealed through your actions. And you'll see what or who you truly serve by what you do, what you follow, 
or where you spend your time. Mike McKinley says, Jesus never allows us to separate our trust in him from our obedience to him. So acting upon God's word reveals a true faith that goes beyond just simply claiming to believe, but truly loving and following him. There's this quote from uh, Jonathan Edwards. says, Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. In other words, what he's saying is he doesn't want to do anything that he would be afraid to do if Jesus was coming back, like, right away. So sometimes when, you know, if people ask me, like, for relationships, like, how far is too far, something I like to say is if you can't tell your mom that she did that, you probably shouldn't do that. Or, like, if you don't want Jesus knowing you did that, you probably shouldn't do that because he already knows too. Um, But that's the Holy Spirit convicting you, right, trying to move you to, to righteousness and purity, our attitude, our, our life should be like we're preparing for Jesus. We're anticipating him. So if you skip down in Luke, Jesus gives one final warning about being ready. And in verse 54, he says, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you, when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So I feel like I'm a skeptical person when it comes to the weather um, because I just, don't, I just don't believe it. The weather app is always wrong. Um, this week, my husband told me it was going to rain all week. I was like, sure, sure it will. And it rained one day, but where was the rest of the rain, right? But I had that same attitude two years ago in February when they're like, oh, it's going to snow. And I was like, no, it's not. It doesn't snow in Dalton. Um, I'm from Lubbock where there's actual winters. Um, There's ice. There's snow. We have white Christmases every year. I could make snowmen. I mean, it actually snows there. I mean, BISD cancels school in anticipation, and it's like frost. I'm like, this is ridiculous, but at least we got a day off, right? Um, but I was wrong, obviously. I was not prepared for snowpocalypse. This seems to be a, a common theme with me, right? Like, I'm being unprepared. So I didn't have firewood. I didn't have uh, food stocked up. Um, also, my poor kids, I don't have snow gloves for them because why would I buy snow gloves in Belton? It doesn't snow. And so they had, um, had to have, like, three layers of jackets and, like, the cloth mittens that soaked through within, like, a minute. Um, poor things. But either way, I was not prepared for snowpocalypse, and I regretted it because the experts did say it was going to snow, right? And I just ignored it. Um, But Jesus is saying, if if we can look at the weather and know what's going to happen for the most part, we prepare for it, right? Most people, smart people, not this person. But Jesus is saying, if we can do that, how are we not seeing that he is also coming back like he says he is? You know, he has proven to be Lord, right? Like he, he has fulfilled all the prophecies. He's done all the miracles. Um, he's d- cast out demons. The demons are even recognizing who he is. He's raised himself from the dead. Literally no one else in the world can do that except the Lord. So why are we not paying attention to what he is telling us and what he's warning us about? I mean, he's, he's proven himself worthy. We should probably pay attention to what he's saying. 
So Jesus' life and teaching should move us deeper in our faith and allow us to trust that God really is who he says he is. He is a merciful Lord who has done everything so that you could put aside the weight of sin and the burden of this life. And so you can run with this focus on eternity with Jesus as your finish line. And that, that should be our goal. That should be our motivation. Don't let the other things distract you in your life, but we should set our sights on Jesus and be ready and awake and excited for whatever he throws our way. All right, I'm going to pray and we'll break out. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, giving us your word, Lord, and giving us the life of Jesus that we can learn from. And God, I pray that we would take it seriously, God, that we would learn how to, how to be prepared, how, what it looks like to really live life focused on you and not being distracted by other things. Lord, I just ask that as we go into this semester, that we will set our sights on you, that we will run with endurance, Lord, that we won't be lazy about our faith, Lord, but we'll, we'll take it and run with it, God, because that's what you desire. And you desire for your name to be known among the nations, God. I pray that you use us and allow us uh, to be a part of that. Ask all of this in Jesus' name.